0: You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a changing our world podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Well, welcome back, everyone, and thanks for downloading the show today. Do you ever feel like your calendar is so full that you literally could not put another meeting in Outlook or it would just crash? That's kind of how my calendar was this past week. It was literally one of those weeks where I have no idea how it happened, but I hit all my marks, I met all my deadlines, and we got everything done, including getting this podcast out on time. But one of the things that I haven't been good at doing lately, to be honest, is to exercise. You know, one of the things I admire about my dad is that he has always taken good care of himself. In fact, next year, he's going to turn 80 years old. And if you ask my mom, he still runs around like he's in his 30s. Last year, I remember talking to my mom on the phone, and they have this single-story house. Uh, It has a flat roof in Sun City, Arizona. And dad was on the roof putting down some tar. I mean, here he is, 78 years old, on the roof of their house, working like he's in his 30s. It drove my mom nuts. But God bless him. He's my hero and my inspiration not to get on the roof. I have a two-story house that does not have a flat roof, and I'd probably fall off and die. But more to the point, to get back on the treadmill and keep trying. I don't know about you, but my calendar is never going to be empty. And so I need to find some time to take care of myself and exercise and move. And, and I hope you do too, we move into this really busy fall season. It's easy not to take care of ourselves. So I hope you're making some time to take care of yourself. But for now, let's get back to work. This week, I had the opportunity to talk with Dan Salucci via Zoom. Dan is the CEO of the Catholic Leadership Institute and I just want to apologize ahead of time because we had a little bit of feedback on Zoom. We tried to clean it up, but you still might hear a little bit of feedback. And so it's not you. You're not hearing voices. Not yet anyway. But Dan is a tremendous resource to the church with extensive experience with leadership at all levels. And it was really an honor to have him on the show. We talked about ways to engage parishioners and really answer the big question, will people be coming back to church? And, and how are we engaging them so that they will come back to church. I, I think you're really going to pick up some great tips like I did and learn a lot from Dan. So without further ado, here is Dan Salucci. Okay, well, welcome to Advancing Our Church. We're so pleased to have Dan Salucci with us today. I'd like to just offer a little intro to Dan and Dan, I'm excited to uh, to chat with you about all the great work happening at at CLI. Dan is the CEO of the Catholic Leadership Institute, an apostolate based in the suburbs of Philadelphia, providing leadership, training and consulting to more than 250 bishops, 3,500 priests and over 25,000 deacons, religious and lay leaders in more than 100 dioceses. Dan has served with CLI for almost 17 years. Prior to his election as CEO, Dan served as Senior Vice President for the Catholic Leadership Institute, working as the primary liaison with bishops and overseeing the Apostle's marketing and services. Dan is a sought-after advisor, consultant, and presenter for the church. And Dan is a native of Philadelphia, but most importantly, he and his wife, Tricia, are the proud parents of four children. Dan, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much, Jim. Thanks. It's a great honor to be here. Appreciate it.
0: Great to chat with you, and uh, always great to meet a, a fellow Philadelphian. I, mean, I, I live in Allentown, but I've been down to Philly so much, I feel like I've adopted that as. We'll take welcome. you. We our
1: reach is far. We'll 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 welcome <laughs> anybody who wants to be a part. <laughs>
0: It's always neat to meet someone like yourself who has also kind of been called to ministry. You know, through most of your career, right? Yeah. I mean, it's been. Uh, it's been. I saw you. You did a brief stint at Newman College. I saw, and then you. You've been at CLI for quite a long time. How did you find your path into ministry?
1: Yeah. So uh, great question. And actually, my my path to CLI even started before that. I was the I was the apostle's first summer intern, if you can imagine. So really. I was involved, I was born and raised here in Philadelphia, and um, was really involved in community service as a high school student, uh, and that was connected through the Archdiocesan Office of Youth and Young Adults at the time, and so um, when I was, uh, I graduated from high school, I went to the University of Richmond, and my first summer back in Philadelphia, the youth office called and asked if I would help kind of be a student leader on a retreat that I had gone on as a high school student, and they said, you know, we'll we'll pay a few bucks over the summer. And they said, also, this guy Tim Flanagan is looking for a summer intern. He just started this thing called Catholic Leadership Institute. They're getting some office space at that time out of the youth office. So I was like, yeah, sure. I you know, I, I was looking for something to do that summer, and I met yeah. Tim uh, and Matt, our, our former CEO, and I uh, I just really fell in love with the mission. I fell in love with the church, honestly. Summer. I'd been born and raised Catholic, had been active, even really, but I just found a, a real deep sense of calling that that first summer, and so I stayed in touch with Tim and Matt, and then uh, shortly after I graduated, as you mentioned, I work at Newman College, and then they got a grant to bring on another full time employee, and so they they offered it to me, and and that's where I've been ever since. So it's been a, just a great ride, a great blessing for me personally to kind of be able to grow in my faith, to understand the church, to see her in so many different parts of our country and our world, and to just understand kind of that communion that we share as as members of this beautiful church. So it's been a great blessing for me.
0: I've gotten to know CLI a little bit over the years. I've I've been a, a fan of yours for a long time. You and, and CLI, and I've I got to know Tim a little bit. But I'll bet our listeners would love to hear a little bit about how CLI got got was got started by Tim because I don't believe Tim came from a ministerial background. He was a no, not a furthest thing from it. I mean, he again yeah. lifelong Catholic, but
1: he was a just a huge leader in the financial services industry, just sought after general agent and and business leader and wisdom figure, moved around the country a lot. And, and actually got kind of interesting story for many people, I'm sure listening who are active in their church. Tim was living in Denver at a time. He signed up at a new parish, said he wanted to get involved. Nobody called him. And then moved to Kansas, signed up for a parish. Nobody called him. And he moved to Philadelphia actually. And, and registered in a parish, and lo and behold, somebody called him back. And that started his involvement. He was a lector, a Eucharistic minister, and then he went to uh, the Church Ministry Institute in Philadelphia, which was kind of a program at that time run out of the seminary for lay leaders. And he just, again, got a sense like, oh gosh, maybe God's calling me. So he, uh, like you, Jim, he started to discern the, the diaconate and thinking maybe that's where the Lord was calling him. He had always loved leadership and professional development and had seen the value of it in the corporate world and how much money and time was being invested in developing human potential. Had seen it in the military, all these different areas and could not understand why it wasn't more present in the Catholic church. So he went on this fortune 500 leadership retreat for business executives out in New Mexico and literally was riding a horse, was thrown off that horse and was lying there and just felt this sense of calling St. Paul to bring the best in leadership development to the Catholic church. So he wrote out that mission statement on that retreat the next day, came back, told his wife, like, I got to kind of pursue this still kind of maintained his business for a number of years, but really started knocking on a bunch of doors and everybody told him he was crazy. And then finally, he met a priest of Philadelphia, Father Chuck Pfeffer, who has passed away early uh, in his 50s. But he said, you know, I believe in what you're you're talking about, Tim. And if you help me build young adult leaders here in Philadelphia, I'll help you kind of navigate the church. And so they formed a partnership. And the first 10 years, that's how I got involved. I really focused on building young adult leaders here in the Philadelphia area. And then uh, the second 10 years, we kind of looked around and said, where is the biggest hunger for leadership development? And it was our priest saying, hey, look. You know, I got a lot of great formation in the seminary, but very little of it was toward this leadership office that I'm called to. So we, we had 10 years of really just developing and offering this program, Good Leaders, Good Shepherds, that has taken us to over 100 dioceses, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. The last 10 years has been spent kind of going even further with that, with some consulting services, some research on parish life. Uh, so yeah, it's been a, a wild ride, and t- but it started with a wild ride on a horse uh, with Tim uh, all those years ago.
0: Yeah. Well, what a tremendous gift that he's given the church too. And you think about how long has it been? Is it been 20 or 20 years, right? We, we literally
1: just celebrated 30 years in July. So oh, 30 years, my goodness, 30, wow. 30 years, July 4. Yeah. I mean, Tim, you know, when you talk about those leaders in the church that I think have you know like saint quality, I think Tim's, I think what makes him special as a founder is his humility. Many people might know about CLI, they actually might not know about Tim. And I think that's part of his, his beauty is that he was, has always been about investing in other people, has certainly been a mentor and great gift in my life, but he's just always looking to kind of get people to where God's calling them to be and really at no personal gain. And so that's been a great blessing to CLI, but I think, as you said, a great blessing
0: to the church. Absolutely. You, you talked about a whirlwind, and of course, we've been in a whirlwind for the last 17 or 18 months so far. And you know, in, in preparing for the interview, I've, I was looking at some of the talks that you've given. You know, as CEO and as, on behalf of the Leadership Institute, you gave an amazing talk back in December on the OSV Talks about what happens if people don't come back to church. You just that that question just kind of rung in the air. You said, uh, you know, you asked a simple question: What if people don't come back? I was curious. I, I'm sure you got some great feedback on that talk.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I, you know, as I mentioned a couple of times, I, you know, I was, that talk was to me, <laughs> it yes. was from me, but it was to me because, you know, you do so much work in the church and you, I, I, I don't know about you, Jim. I mean, you, you, you had extensive ministry in the church and, and, but I, as soon as, you know, the first weekend when things were shutting down, I said, this is, this is a problem. I mean, I like, yeah. my my stomach like dropped. Yeah. And because, because what we've been doing, especially in the last, you know, eight or nine years has been studying a lot of what's going on on parish life, like really at a granular level, what are our people who are in the pews? I'm not even talking about, you know, the 60 or 70% who are not Right. But what are people in the pews, what are their practices or beliefs? And and we're making, we were making before COVID a lot of assumptions about where people were. And, and so when that happened, I said, this is not going to be a good thing. And it was on my heart and, and on my mind. And I was blessed that Offered me the opportunity, but I wanted to put it out there. And, and I always try to look at, you know, what's the opportunity? What's God kind of putting in front of us? And, and yeah. is God in this? That's really in the possibility, the possibility to look at our own life, the possibility to look at our parishes, and to say, okay, this is hard. This is challenging, but anything in our faith that is worthwhile, as we know from the cross, is those things is hard and challenging. Mm-hmm. And so what is before us is, is very much can be devastating, but it also can be an opportunity to, for self-reflection and for innovation and for possibility and for thinking differently. And so
0: I just and it really to- has been, right? I mean, and you made that point a couple of times in the talk I and mean, look at what we accomplished in such a short period of time, yeah. getting masses live streamed, getting collections, on, more parishes doing online collections than ever before. I mean, yes. that would have taken decades more. And, and it really shows you that people, first of all, it shows their their love, I think, for the church and their commitment to it. But it also shows you what we're capable of when we're right. really pressed to make something happen like this.
1: I, I think the last point, and certainly I agree with the love and, and connection, but I think the last point is the one that's most instructive. Because in yeah. our you know, we're talking about leadership training. We're trying to change behavior. And, and we wrestle all the time and try to help our leaders wrestle with assume, what we call assumed constraints. Right? I can't, mm-hmm. can't do that. We'll never find the people who would be willing to do that. We don't have the ability to do that. We we don't understand technology. I don't like email. I, I've never recorded a video of myself, right? All these kind of things that are not necessarily untrue, but but are kind of keeping us stuck in a certain place. And I think this unlocked a lot of those, right? I mean, I talked to so many pastors who were, you know, allergic to social media beforehand, mm-hmm. sometimes for a good reason, right? But right. it was like they pushed themselves. Uh, to do that. And that was for the good. I think, you know, I think this whole idea of what we're capable for, I think we just have scratched the surface and I lose that sense as, you know, we start to maybe be able to do some things that we were used to doing. I I think we still have a lot more potential that we're not realizing.
0: It kind of goes back to the thought of, well, when people come back or we, you know, people, people have this sense of, I want things to go back to the way they were. And you know we know that if we go back to the way that we were working our way out of business, I mean, maybe that's a, an over exaggeration. No, I don't. Christian. I
1: don't think it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a Christian faith. We've been around for 2000 years. However, I mean, when you're looking at two thirds of most parishes half empty or whatever, it, it's crazy. So we don't want to go back to the way things were. I think we can use this to propel ourselves to the next level, right? I would imagine that is, is that how how you all are looking at it? Or are you are you trying to gain some groundswell to kind of move parishes to the next level beyond this?
1: I think the the thing that I'm most trying to do, Jim, is is help people understand that the, the change is inevitable. Like if this change is going to be inevitable. So yeah. people who are looking for some type of you know status quo situation, it doesn't exist anywhere. So no. the change is happening, um, and it's going to either happen by continued just kind of crisis, things are happening to us, or it's going to happen by our choice. Those choices involve maybe pain or sacrifice, but they actually can bear great fruit. One of the the misconceptions that I think it's really important to look at, people ask me all the time, we do a lot of surveying on parish life. We did it before the pandemic, we're doing it during the pandemic, must be a big difference. Well, I'll tell you, there is, difference. The the parishes, there's a winnowing effect. So parishes that are are, are making great effort to be in relationship with people, to be highly communicative, to try to engage people in creative ways, to do things they never, and try things that they never tried before, their parishioners are responding to that. So parishes that were displaying that are displaying more of that and are being rewarded in the minds of their parishioners, Conversely, parishes that were not able to communicate and didn't try to, to figure out a better way during the pandemic, just kind of relied on people showing up, weren't trying to kind of speak into people's lives, they're falling and falling fast. And so yeah. both involve change, right? Two diff- very different types of change and, and with different outcomes. So what we're trying to do is kind of paint that choice, because uh, it, is, it is a choice that we have right now that we need to make right now. I speak with a sense of urgency for it because I'm watching it on, and I'm sure you're seeing it on a national level. And so right. which choice are we going to make folks? You know I mean? That that's Jesus is always going to be with us, but he never, he never promised our parishes were, I mean, that's yes. the deal. So, um, so we, we have a choice to make here. And, and I think it's, it's one that every individual Catholic has to make how, you know, how willing are we to get uncomfortable, to take some risks, to do things we've never done before, to be open to some things that we've never tried before in our parishes.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it reminds me of, of the book by Father Michael White down in Maryland, you know, Church in the Nativity, where their focus for years has been not just the people in the pews, but he called him Timonium Tim because they live yes. in the city of Timonium. Yeah. The people that are outside, we need to be drawing them in. I think we need to be doing that now more than ever, right? Absolutely. Here, I mean, I,
1: what I like to say to people is like, if it's just been 18 months and your parish hasn't heard, like parishioners haven't heard from you or... Yes why would they come back? Now, I'm not asking that because I don't believe in, in the value of, you know, Sunday Mass or, you know, or the obligation to attend. It's from, take from their perspective. We have people who weren't really sure why they were going in the first place, right? We have lots yeah. of people who were going out of habit or culture, which was great. We're, we welcomed them there, but, but now you take a situation where they've been kind of isolated from the world, you know, and if the parish didn't make a difference in their life before the pandemic, and it didn't try to make a, life, a difference in their life during the pandemic, why are they coming back to that, right? Regardless of their concern around COVID, they're going back to travel soccer. Like they're going back to other things, right? Those mm-hmm. people are desperate to get into because it's, it's relevant to them. And so the church has what we all need, but we have to be present in people's lives and figure out different ways to do that. So, you know, I, I just think, I think that that whole, the, the, you know, a lot of people I think misunderstood, or I shouldn't say misunderstood, they, they glossed over the real value of, Rebuilt, the book that you're referring to, you yeah. know, that level of intentionality, it wasn't just kind of timonium to him, It was saying what makes him tick? Where can we find him? Where does he get his information? What are his concerns in life? Like it was really thinking about where he was and therefore how the church could be present to him. It level of intentionality. I mean, I can't agree more with, with Father White and, and them about kind of thinking through where people are and having that missionary mindset. I think that's, that's a really good way to describe that missionary impulse that Pope Francis has kind of been, you know, calling us to.
0: One of your talks, I think it might've been the OSV one where you you mentioned some parishioners are calling to say, can I just pray with you? And yeah. some amazing things were happening out of that. What a what a simple and yet beautiful suggestion for a committee to get together and, and really be ambassadors for Christ, right?
1: Yeah, and you know, what's so interesting. <laughs> so I, you know, parishes will call, I mean, we have lots of parishes that we help. And so parishes will call and say like, Tell us what we're, we should be doing, right? What are yeah. other doing? So I would say this, like, I, I mean, we have some data um, that would even show parishes that were doing that saw increases in their offertory. They didn't even want yeah. for money, but, but their offertory was actually going up from pre-COVID numbers. So I, I would say that. Uh, easy thing you can do. Any parish can do it. You don't need any technology. You just need a list of phone numbers. Call, call people. Father doesn't have to do it all. You can get volunteers to do it. And the number of parishes that would say to me, oh, I, we, could, we can't do that. And I would say, well, why can't you do that? Well, gosh, people's privacy. And I said, but they gave you their phone number. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Church, you know, like you're not calling to ask them their social security number. Like you're calling to check in on them, you know? Oh, well, what if, you know, they get, everybody gets so many calls and I'm like, but you're not, you know, Erie Insurance or State Farm, like no offense to Erie Insurance, you're Roman Catholic Church of Jesus Christ, like you be at the top of priority list, you know? So it was, it was a real sense of a lack of confidence that I observed with so many parishes, like we aren't worthy of people's time. And it's like, oh, like we got to reach yes. that mindset. People need faith. They need the church. They need Christ. Mm-hmm. Like entering in with that mindset, I think we're missing something. So yeah, I mean, a simple gesture that goes a long way and still sometimes those assumed constraints are are holding us back.
0: Yeah, I saw you had done a, a workshop just last month, I believe for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And I believe it was on welcoming Tips for welcoming parishioners back, communication tips, you you know, for a pastor or maybe a lay person who's listening, what are some of the ways in which we could be welcoming our our parishioners back?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that's most important is leading with your person. (laughs) So, you you know, you do a lot of work in this great work in the stewardship space. And, you know, people, whether it's their time or their talent or their their treasure, people give to people, people invest in people they, they give because of relationship and so sometimes we come up with elaborate you know systems of communication and all these types of things and we forget that it's two human beings trying to communicate right so tell you how many times we spend so much effort on the strategy but then we're like miserable to each other <laughs> you know it's like we're wondering communication doesn't work so one of the things I think I really I tried to emphasize was how important our our just you know, emotional intelligence, our relationship is as we're doing that communication. Mm-hmm. The other thing, you know, I think trying to create instances where, again, we're present in people's lives. We were talking before we started the recording. My, my son has been dealing with cancer for the last year. And I, we, our family could not have gotten through that without our parish. And, and it wasn't in any big flashy ways. It was really in small, you know, individualized one-on-one types of ways where either our pastor or, a staff member or a family you know, a volunteer was just reaching out to us. And, and that we'll never forget that. Right. I mean, that, yeah. that type of communication is what, is what keeps people and they're not doing it just to keep us, but they're, they're doing it authentically out of mission, but it will keep us. I mean, yeah, you know, so many people are dealing with so many hard things right now. And mm-hmm. I think it has to do is to say, we are here. Like mm-hmm. we pray, can we do those types of things? So thinking where people are in their lives, the other thing that we that I would say from from a strategy standpoint is to really think about segmentation, very distinct segments in our in all of our parishes. And, and they might look different. Don't try to communicate one thing to everybody. Try to communicate very specifically to certain groups of people. So right. communicate to your young families in a certain way. Try to communicate. You're, you're, you might be communicating the same co- same overall content or message. And, and the last thing is to try to get people who look like them. And by that, I mean if you're going to try to communicate to young families, get somebody who's a part of a young family to communicate, right? It's a great way to leverage volunteers. And again, they're just, they're in a common phase of life. They're going to be more likely to relate to each other. So those are some of the things I tried to lift up. Sure. Perennial principles, but also some things like segmentation that I think really help to drive home a message.
0: Talking to your audience, I think via different channels, you know, maybe being on more than one social media platform and not just doing email, but certainly doing email. I mean, uh, different generations seem to be engaged in different levels of electronic communication versus in person. But one of the things I thought that was impactful that you said in, in the talk was just kind of that ministry of presence. You know, they may not remember what you said, but they'll remember that you were there. Right. And I think sometimes when I worked with different pastors, they underestimate the importance of their own presence. They don't have to come up with a beautiful speech. They don't have to have something prepared. You know, just being there, just being among the people. I used to work with Bishop Barris, who's now in Rockville Center. Yeah. But when he was in the Diocese of Allentown, he was everywhere. He was at every basketball game. He was at every, you know, CYO event. He'd, you know, work the stands with the parents. And it wasn't that he had a huge message. It was just being present. I talked with people, said, I, I never met some of the other bishops, but I've met this bishop like four times in the last year. Like he's just always there.
1: We actually have some data, Jim, on this, that a parishioner in the United States is 11 times, 11 times more likely to recommend their parish if they're likely to recommend their pastor. Hmm. Looked at, we've obviously studied that because that's a huge, I mean, yeah. matter, right? I mean, 11 times, it's really about, you know, that presence is so important. So we looked at that and we kind of looked at well, what are some of the qualities of, of guys who, who are really, and without a doubt, their presence was yeah. just everything. And so I can't, I can't, you know, double down on that point that you just made more. We don't need flashy programs. We don't need right. big beaches, right. We just have to be there. Our, our son did a little lemonade stand this summer to help raise for cancer awareness. And, and Archbishop Prez showed up like, he, wow, <laughs> you know, like 90 degrees coming from a, you know, a confirmation. It is, it is blacks and and he just kind of showed up. He's like, Can I get some lemonade? What's it cost? That's expensive. You know, you get a clergy to discount, you know, <laughs> crack. Them. But but again, you know, if I look at if I look at that from a catechetical moment for my children, they will never forget that the art Arch- of oh. Philadelphia showed up for them, right? Mm-hmm. He spent maybe 10 minutes. I, I mean, they will never forget that. So, you know, just how important that is for them. And so for all of us, we all mm-hmm. want known, and to be loved and to be in kind of acknowledged. Um, and so, you know, yeah, for our pastors, especially, but also for our key ministry leaders, just the way we can be more present in each other's lives, I think is the best thing we
0: can do right now. Absolutely. One of the other messages you had, which I thought was great. I th- um, people sometimes don't always get the message and we think, well, we put it in the bulletin or we made an announcement at mass, but point you you need to say it enough times where you're actually sick of hearing yourself say the message (laughs) and uh saying it seven times or or something you know it's kind of like the standard rule but I think that was also such an important message because like I said and you've said people get their information from different channels and different ways and we just have to keep repeating that message not only that Jim but there's we're
1: so with content right now I mean information right and so I'm, I'm sure you do a lot of Webinars and things in your in your ministry. Yeah. So, you know, I always have this joke with my colleagues because we're constantly, obviously, doing webinars. Yeah, I will put it on the slides. I will say it four times during the presentation. Like, I will send you these slides session. How many questions do I get? What are you gonna, are you going to send us the slides? When? Are you? And I and I know, you know, and I'm one of those people, right? Like, I'm doing right. other things. I'm listening, or I'm yeah. getting, you know, my kids are are want something from me. So we just we can't assume that people are kind of sitting waiting to read the bulletin and and you know, studying or highlighting every word that might come from it. You know, as as pretty as it might be laid out, it's it's one way. It's a good way, but you're gonna have at least ten other times where you're like, didn't we already say this about a million times? You know. Yeah. And again, once you start asking that question, like, do I really need to say it again? You probably are just starting to reach the people you're trying to reach. So still drives me bonkers. So I get it for, you know, for people in, in, in ministry that they're like, really, do we have to do that? Yes, we really have to do that, unfortunately. of <laughs> the, the attention span
0: where everybody is. So Dan, what has been your focus, or how has it changed during the pandemic? I, I would imagine you've been working, and we've all been working differently, but how have you kind of fine-tuned your message or your work with parishes and dioceses over the last 17 months?
1: In many ways, given what we we're doing and are doing, I don't want to say it hasn't changed much. I think it's become more urgent. And so these have been, especially in these last 10 years, have been really focused in on parishes kind of creating a direction and a plan for the future. So what, what does this parish need to do right now and in the next kind of three or four years? So obviously what we've pivoted to really quickly was just helping pastors and parish teams kind of navigate the realities of this current time period. Right. But one of the things that that is really required is is a good sense of direction. Where are we going? Because mm-hmm. people are looking for any semblance of stability and direction and path. So I think there's there's kind of many plans or many directions that need provided right now. How are we going to reopen the How are we going to reopen school? All those mm-hmm. different things that are really urgent and on the, the minds and hearts of our of our leaders. But I think we can't lose sight of the longer term. Like what are we trying to build for? Mm-hmm our communities. And let's not lose that here. In fact, that sense of future is really what is going to give people motivation to kind of keep going, to stay involved is, is like, let's let's keep our eyes on the prize. So um, that's always kind of been a part of what we've done. We've really tried to kind of double down on that. The other piece that has become more pronounced in the OSV talk was a big part of that is is people being a lot more interested, thankfully, in what is working, how can we share best practices, you know, what, what are other parishes doing. So we're just blessed to have a really big database of parishes that are doing great things. And so, you know, our ability to try to mine that and, and connect people, I think has greater focus over these last 18 months for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. And how do you work with dioceses or parishes? Do they engage you uh, as a consultant individually, or do you g- generally work with, a, with an entire diocese? How, how does that work for you?
1: Yeah, I would say by and large, Jim, our partnerships are on the diocesan level and they sure. are uh, really diverse. So we have mm-hmm. some, some partnerships with dioceses where we're doing you know, some ongoing formation for their priests, like in, in Allentown or other different places. And so usually that's just something that we form, you know, working with the bishop and his team at the diocese. And then it could be for parish leaders, it could be for priests, whatever it might be. We also have a number of pretty exciting uh, national pilots going on. And so we've received grants from the Lilly Endowment and from other really generous Catholics to actually find partners who partner diocese who want to participate in, in any places like parish renewal or helping our priests, uh, you know, be the best that they can be from a leadership standpoint. So we have mm-hmm. Uh, like this year, for example, six dioceses that are a part of a national pilot. Again, all those funds are kind of put forward and we're, we're just finding people who want to kind of uh, partner with us. So uh, and then we do have, a, I would say, probably about, you know, every year, about 50 parishes or so that just kind of contact us individually and want to do something on a training or you know, planning front. And we're happy to do that, too. So mm-hmm. multiple different ways, but mostly at the diocesan level.
0: From a philanthropic standpoint, I would imagine you probably have some donors. In fact, I know, I know actually I've spoken with a couple of your donors or they've said they're, they're contributed towards CLI, but that they would be willing to sponsor programs for their diocese. In other yeah. words, they, they so believe in your mission that they they want to make it available to more people in their diocese.
1: Yeah. We're blessed to have people who are doing it, doing things or funding things in their own backyard, as well mm-hmm. as who are, we've been blessed in the last couple of years to really receive some very transformational gifts. Mm. That are for us to kind of find dioceses in need, not even in their backyard, but they're kind of giving us the blessing of their trust to partner with bishops who maybe don't have the resources in their own diocese or donors in their own diocese who could do that. And so helping us reach a lot of mission dioceses in the U.S. And, and even uh, we're working with the diocese in Haiti right now, actually. And that's all made possible by just really beautiful women and men with just huge, generous hearts and a heart for the church. hmm
0: where do you think it's all headed, Dan? Are we at the precipice now where, where a lot of these kinds of services are, people are more open to them? I, I would think that the next five years are going to look very different for us as we overcome this pandemic and hopefully invite more people back to church. But do you see that kind of from your perspective, from a national perspective, that that dioceses are, are understanding that now and that change is on the horizon? You know what? I would describe it this
1: way. So the last, interestingly enough, the last kind of public speech that I gave uh, before, mm-hmm. So this is February 2020, was to yeah. a group of um, philanthropic investors. And um, they asked me to describe the church in four minutes or less.
0: <laughs> okay, good. That's a
1: good, that's good fun. Luck. <laughs> So this is how I described it. Uh, again, yeah. on the, the view that I am blessed to have. I said, it's like we're sitting on a beach and there's a giant tsunami approaching. And some of us on the beach, building our sandcastles, don't know that it's coming just going about life the way we've always been going about. It. I think there's some parishes and dioceses that are doing that. You know, we'll get back to normal. We're just kind of kind of keep plugging away. I think there's some of us who are kind of turned and seen it, trying to outrun it. Can't really outrun it, but we're going to try to run as hard as we can doing what we kind of usually do. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's going to be difficult. I think there's some who, frankly, and this is, I think, the smallest population, gratefully, but I think there's some who put their arms up and said like, all right, it's over. You know, take me. Take me. me. <laughs> uh, can't. You know, uh, been doing this too long. I don't have the energy, and and I, I understand that, but I don't I don't think that's a path either. Mm-hmm. I think there's some of us, and I'm hopefully trying to be one of them who's like going to try to surf it, you know. And I think we can. I, I I've seen parishes uh, that have and are, and so. But you know, surfing's hard. Uh, surfing big waves harder, but the waves come in when we look at. Well, where we were before the pandemic, we were approaching this, this seismic generational shift in our country. I mean, with Gen X in, in between there, that was going to always happen. And it's now it's happening faster. And that that's going to affect the way we do things. So again, change is inevitable. And the question is, are we going to, are we going to try to surf the wave? And so I think, I hope, and what we're trying to do is encourage as many people as possible, even if you have never picked up a surfboard, like, Let's give it a try because uh, it's going to be better. And and God just asks us to be faithful. He doesn't ask us to be successful. And so you know, I think faithfulness looks like surfing. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a wild ride, I think. But let's uh, let's try to do it as best as we can.
0: Absolutely. Well, Dan, I, I just want to thank you for being on our show today. This has been just tremendous. Where can people find you?
1: Oh gosh. Well, thank you. Thanks for thanks for doing this. And and because it's to listen to other conversations that you've had and feel privileged to be one of them. Our web address is catholicleaders.org, the best place uh, to find out everything about what we're doing and get in contact with any of our great teams. So catholicleaders.org. And thank you for your good work for the church as well.
0: Oh, thanks, Dan. It's been a pleasure. God bless.
1: God bless you. Thanks.
0: Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Studios for another great show. Hey, if you're looking for a way to say thank you to Advancing Our Church this year, by the way, we hit 100 episodes in our last episode, do me a quick favor. Head over to iTunes, leave us a quick rating, just say something that you love about Advancing Our Church and and give us a, a four or five star review. I'd really appreciate that. That small show of support goes a long way in spreading the word about our show. So thank you for all you do to like and share our podcasts out on the internet and for all you do to send your encouragement to us and to me personally. And if you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for more than two decades. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. I hope you have another terrific week. We have some wonderful guests planned this fall, so stay tuned. I hope to see you back here same time next week. God bless.